All right, let's stand and take our Bibles at 6.15. Let's get right into it. Daniel chapter 11 tonight. Daniel chapter 11. That's in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 11. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, please share your Bible with them. Daniel 11. I want you to scroll down to verse 28 this evening. We're going to read to verse 33. We're going to take a small glimpse at prophecy tonight for just a few moments. And uh, that's something probably as we get to the tail end this year, maybe the beginning next year, I might preach a series of messages. or might preach to the book of Revelation as we finish up one of our other series to just kind of get us ready for some things there. Daniel 11, say amen if you're there. Daniel 11 follows our read this evening, verse 28. Then shall he return into his land with great riches. And his heart shall be against the holy covenant. And he shall do exploits and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come towards the south. But it shall not be as the former or as the latter. For the ships of Chittim shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the holy covenant. So shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant. And his arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall make place the abomination that maketh desolate. That's where we get the phrase, the abomination of desolation, found in Matthew 24. And such as do wickedly against this covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But I want you to notice verse 32, verse 33 now. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity, by spoil many days. Would you notice in the latter part of verse 32, the front end of the statement of verse 33, God's promised possibilities. He says, they that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Father, this evening we come to you with hearts overflowing with thankfulness for the goodness and grace of God. Thank you for a lady that was reached through soul winning that this morning at a minimum she got her assurance of salvation. And her very words were after she got that was that I'm thankful to Jesus I came to church today. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for people being reached in the highways and byways and the highways and hedges. And yet I'm reminded that the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, he said, compel them to come in that my house might be full. And we know that tonight, the Lord, you are glorified whenever people come to church. But you're most glorified when your house is filled. You're most glorified when your house is a house of prayer. And we know that, Lord, that this is the house of God, the pillar and ground of truth. And tonight, as we think about the resurrection and the Easter uh, and our, our Lord's death on the cross, a reminder of 1 Timothy 3.16, how God was manifest in the flesh. He was seen of angels and he was justified among many. And, Lord, that he was risen. And the Lord, he seated at the right hand of God. And I'm reminded tonight that Jesus tasted death for every man. He died for every sinner. And God, tonight, he was the just dying for the unjust that he might bring us to God. And God, tonight, I'm looking at some wonderful people this evening who love you. And they're concerned about loved ones. They're concerned about fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts. Some who've been to all of our very services. Some who've had co-workers come who have yet to trust Christ as Savior. And God, we're praying this coming week. I'm praying for eight that will get saved. I'm praying to our God for those who are caught up, who've been blinded by false religion, that they'll get saved. We're praying for those 
Lord, who were ensnared and in bondage and sin, in bondage to some, God, some stronghold of sin that's wicked and vile, that's abominable before God. I'm praying that they'll get saved from their sins. We're praying, dear God, for the power of the gospel to break the chains of sins, because the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And Father, we're praying that the power of the gospel would pierce hearts. We're praying that the power of the gospel, the seed which is precious and incorruptible, be sown in hearts and hearts that would be good soil. And all this week, we're praying that, God, the soil be prepared for God to do a great, mighty work. Oh, God, we pray that we see God lifted up and holy and, 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 and before men. And tonight, we pray for this campus, Lord, with all the construction being on. It's Christ before the construction. And it's Jesus, God, who saves. And we're praying this evening that this place, this location, will be a great reminder to these ensuing days that, Lord, this is a beacon of God's light being shined forth. Help us this week not to hide the light under a bushel. And, God, help us tonight not to go dark and off the grid, Lord. This evening, if there's ever a time we need to be on the grid, it's this week, Lord, and be visible and we're busy for you. Help us this week that even tonight to determine to realign our scheduling and our priorities for the sake of the gospel. And Lord, tonight we give you glory and praise for what you'll do and what you're doing in our hearts. We pray all these things of you, Lord, tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you seated. We are six days away from the Easter Resurrection musical. And there are three things I'm praying for that I'd like to ask that you pray for with me this week. Would you do that? Number one, we're praying that this will be a very strongly attended event. In fact, I'm really praying it will be the best attended event that we've ever had of many unsaved visitors who will come and hear the gospel and will receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, to give you a little prelude as members, then the musical presentation is going to be broken up into three different segments. Segment number one will emphasize about Jesus, a Jesus who cares. And then uh, as, the, as the choir sings a couple special numbers with that, I'll come up, I'll give, I'll, 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 I'll say something about that for about five to ten minutes and give the gospel with that to kind of prepare the hearts. And then I'm going to sit down, the choir will sing, then there'll be, a, the choir will sing again, and they'll have their portion there on Jesus loves and the love of God. And they will focus on the woman at the well of Samaria and Jesus meeting her there. And then I'll come up and give the gospel again and say something there to kind of reinforce it once more time. And then the third and final segment goes from Jesus cares, to Jesus loves, to Jesus lives. And we're going to emphasize about the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. And we're just asking God to work through as I give the summation of all that, pulling it together and giving the gospel. Now, we've told people that... uh, of course, we've got, you know, the Saturday night service and the Sunday service. And by the way, as, as even mentioned tonight, don't, don't forget to pray for Friday night. Amen. And don't forget to pray for the children's treasury because we're going to get a lot of prospects out of both of those events. And we're just trusting God to work to that. But but we're going to have translation on Saturday night. That's going to be Chinese and Spanish. And I'm going to make a fundamental shift. And I want you to be a little patient with me. There's a lot of people we are reaching who don't come to this church. They're not in this church. Some have never have darkened the door of this church. And we're praying that people will come. And we're going we're gonna to extend the, the, the translation to be also on Sunday morning for those groups of people. Because we don't want to be guilty of false advertising and tell them we're having this. And then they don't wind up, they want to be shuffled somewhere else. We're going to have them inside here. If they're new to the church, want them here to hear the gospel. To feel the effect of God, just God working through the church family through that. And you help us this week just to go all the way. And you'll never know. Just even get up to Friday night, even Saturday morning. Someone may commit to come. You never know. I mean, I, I remember just a, a few years ago ago 
My wife and I were just getting a bite to eat on a Friday night and we'd left church and got a quick bite to eat. We're coming back and uh, we were going to come back there and we got a call of all things it was Simona that called us. And she said she called and she said, hey, uh, Pastor, Mrs. Fong, there's a lady here. She was driving through here and she and she's she's distressed and she needs to see you. And we say, hey, we're 30 minutes away. Can you just tell her to wait? We'll be right back. We'll, we'll just stop right now. Pay the bill. We took off to come back. But she couldn't wait. And she left. And but we got her information and we went by to see her Saturday. She wasn't there, but she came back afterwards and met us back here at church. We started to work with this lady. And we thanked the Lord through this in a very difficult situation. Her husband was in the process of being deported and things. It was just very bad uh, legal handling of his, his, of his uh, immigration issue. We jumped in. I, I got involved with them. First of all, gave them the gospel. They both got saved. We thank the Lord. They both got saved that day. And through, they came to Jesus saved. They called on the Lord to save them. And then we, we watched as I went to San Francisco with them and went to meet with the lawyer. And, and uh, you know, I did one of those things. We'd wear a three-piece, you know, pinstripe suit and just sit down and then brought a brief case and he thought I was a lawyer too and I said no I'm not a lawyer and I said but I but I'm a preacher and and uh, you know talked to him and you know and God just worked that situation and we were able to get somebody involved that I never met before that was able to reverse that whole situation it was answered prayer it wasn't a lawyer but it was God that took care of that and uh, you never know you might get up to 11th hour someone who could be on a suicidal bent or some other situation that's very very serious and they need Christ and they need to hear the gospel and it may be just next weekend could be a life-changing event for someone so be in prayer with us for that so number one we're praying for this big greatly well attended event and uh, I have a certain number I'm praying for that will be in attendance for that that weekend and you pray for that and <coughs> we're praying for people not only to get saved but people to follow up with baptism so <coughs> following that we're going to announce a baptismal Sunday or two uh, you know we've already got about anywhere from 10 to 15 people we're talking to right now they need to take the next step of baptism and uh, we're, we're going to line up and we're praying that all, almost all through the month of April, we're going to be baptizing through then and trying to get a lot of these people just to be on board with us. So you pray in prayer for that. Number two, would you pray with me about this? We're praying that people who are saved but not closely connected to a church and or uh, will get their lives touched. Maybe they're disconnected as far as the church is concerned. And this might be the opportunity for them to connect with Heritage Baptist Church and get involved with this church and, and to have their lives changed by the Lord's resurrection. And, of course, we want this to be a place where they can find uh, they can find a growth group that they can be a part of that will help them to grow in the Lord and live for Christ and, and to be excited about the Lord. And thirdly, we're praying that, that, this, that this coming weekend will be an opportunity for our, our church to feel or experience the long-term fires of revival in our heart. We need revival to be constantly ongoing in our hearts. And so we're praying thirdly that, that we'll sense the effect of long-term revival in our hearts. And just, just bear with me tonight as we go through this passage. It's very exciting. It's new for some this evening as we look at some areas of prophecy. But there's a wonderful thing found in this. And I want you to notice that in, in these verses this evening we read... We see some promised possibilities. Now, to help you tonight as we go through this, and I'm going to try to get done right around 7-ish or so, I want you to see three things tonight. Number one, we're going to see the past. Number two, we're going to see coming prophecy. Number three, we're going to see promised possibilities. That's very simply what we're looking at tonight. We're going to look at the past. We're going to look at future prophecy. And then we're going to look at some promised possibilities that God gives us in between all that tonight. Notice, first of all, and you have to take Daniel 11. You've got to go back and read all of Daniel. You've got to read Daniel 8 and Daniel 9 and pull it together with Daniel 11 to understand what's going on. Now, I want you to understand, there's a lot of it. By the way, let me just say this tonight. As you read it, and I don't have time to explain all of it tonight. I'll we'll be here all night. But one of the best books of the Bible, one of the great books of the Bible that validates the Bible as the Word of God, historically speaking, is the book of Daniel. 
Because as you read through the book of Daniel, historically speaking, it is awesome how God works through all those, all those historical events. And even things that Daniel prophesies, some of which, one of which we're looking at tonight, that occurs 350 years after Daniel's gone. That God brings to light. And one of the great verses you can use in talking to people, especially as we go into this Easter weekend, was found in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, where it talks about Daniel's 70-year prophecy. Remember that? And the 69 weeks, if you go to the 69 weeks, it takes us from the date of that prophecy, it takes us right to the week, that week of April of the year Jesus was crucified. You can come back from there and find the date in which he was born. Well, the 70th week hasn't occurred because the 70th week will be triggered at the rapture. And then after the rapture, will be a seven-year tribulation. I mean, it's an exciting book of Scripture. And you go through that to understand that historically speaking, prophetically speaking, the book of Daniel is one of the many great evidences, many, one of the many evidences of the Word of God, that God's Word is true. And I want you to notice here in verses 21 to 35, we see, we see a prophecy that Daniel was giving, but it was a past prophecy that has been fulfilled as far as we're concerned. In verses 21 to 35, we're looking at a, we're looking at a personality that we just read about. This personality, to line things up for my outline tonight, I call and refer to him as the maniac of the past. He was a madman. He is, if you would, the foreshadowing of the Antichrist, who's point number two. This maniac of the past, his name is not given, but his character is given. And his name, if you'll write this down, his name is Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes' name literally means God manifests. And specifically, if you study your history, Antiochus Epiphanes, who's mentioned here, is Antiochus Epiphanes IV. This man is a, without going all the details, he's a, he's a, he's a, He's a descendant of other other kings, and basically it's, it's the dismantling of Alexander the Great's kingdom. He has kingdom dismantled after he died. He had four generals, and they went in different directions. Basically, he came two struggling kingdoms. That what we now know is, is modern day Syria was struggling with modern day with modern day what we know as today is modern day Egypt. Syria and Egypt were at war with one another. If you know a little about your history, in between all of this, Cleopatra kind of comes onto the scene. If you remember the name Cleopatra there, and uh, she, she married one of the uh, a previous a previous ancestor there of Antiochus Epiphanes, and there was a lot of intrigue and things going on. But what's happening for Verses 21 to 35 is dealing with us about this man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, I want you to see some things tonight. First of all, you've got to go back to Daniel chapter 8. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 8 for a little bit tonight. I want to give you some preview about this guy, and then we'll be back in chapter 11. First of all, I want you to consider the arrival of this man. Again, this is our background to get to where I'm going to get in the last point. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes is mentioned, and the first time he's mentioned to us is in chapter 8, verse 9. He is who, who he is referred to as the little horn. And the Bible says in, in, in Daniel chapter 8, verse 9, And out of one of them came forth a little horn. And this is a, this is a great clash that would come about. This is the mentioning of this man, Antiochus Epiphanes. He lived from 215 B.C. to 164 B.C. This man will be remembered as we read through Daniel 8, Daniel chapter 11. He will be remembered as the most cruel, the most evil, and the most wicked as far as treatment of the Jews is concerned. Many have called this man the Antichrist of the Old Testament. There are many parallels between him and the Antichrist found in the Great Tribulation period. Antichrist is the little horn. 
He became the king of Syria in 175 B.C. The Syria, that empire at that time was called the Seleucid Empire and had been greatly reduced in size when Antiochus took, took rule. Antiochus, because of his quest for power, decided still to make conquests there. And one of the conquests he made is he went into Jerusalem to conquer Jerusalem. In order to gain dominance, he made conquests. He had to conquer Egypt because Egypt was always a force to be reckoned with. He made conquests against Persia because Persia was a former great kingdom. And then he made his way down to Israel to attack Israel. Israel has always been the buttress of attack for, for different groups of people. When he arrives on the scene, his empire is declining, but this man is, is, is thirsty for power, thirsty for control, thirsty for acquisitions. So we see Antiochus and his arrival. Notice, secondly, in verses 10 to 14 of chapter 8, we see this man's atrocities. Let me read to you some things that's mentioned here and is somewhat repeated back in, in, in Daniel chapter 11. In Daniel chapter 8, verses 10 to 14, listen to what it says. And the little horn wagged great even to the host of heaven and he cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them yea he magnified himself even to the prince of the host and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down and a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression and it cast down the truth to the ground and it practiced and prospered then I heard one saint speaking to another saint and said unto the certain saint which spake how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trod underfoot and he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now keep your finger there and look at chapter 11. In chapter 11, some of the verses we read earlier, listen to some of the things it says about what Antiochus Epiphanes will do. Because again, it's repeated here. It says here in verse 28, then shall he return to his land with great riches. He's, he's pillaged other lands and specifically Jerusalem. He cut the gold off the temple. And his heart shall be against the Holy Covenant. He's against the things of God. And he shall do exploits and return to his own land. And at the time appointed, he shall return and come towards the south. But it shall not be as the former is the latter. In other words, he's going, to make, he's going to make attack against Egypt there. For the ships of Chittim shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the Holy Covenant. He's given some pushback. And then he's angry against the Jews. He takes out all his anger against them. And so shall he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. He's going to make alignments with other people who hate the Jews. This man was an incredible... Uh, he had incredible hatred towards the Jews. And arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary straight. That's what was referred to here in verse 31. It was exactly what we just read about. He shall pollute the sanctuary strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall make place, they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. This man commits some atrocities against the Jews. It refers to it in chapter 8 as he casts truth to the ground. Listen to some of these things that happen. It refers in verses 10 to 14 the following. The host of heaven, Israel, he shall bring down. He cast them to the ground and stamps of them. In other words, it speaks of the overthrow and conquest he'll make of the Jews. He will magnify himself against the Lord himself. The Lord himself is referred to as the prince of the host. He will take away the daily sacrifices. One of the things, and I'll read you some commentators about this. One of the things that Antiochus Epiphany will do, he's going to go, he, he, went, he did, he went into the temple and basically told the Jews, you can't do your sacrifice anymore. He said, I'm doing away with the sacrifices. And one of the things he did, which is referred to as the abomination desolation, he would take unclean animals and pigs specifically and force the Jews to sacrifice pigs on the altar, which basically was an abomination as far as God's concerned, if you know the book of Leviticus. He would take pig's blood and he'd spray it all over the, all over the temple. I mean, he did these terrible 
temple atrocities. One of the things that was a sign of the covenant of the Jews was the, was the covenant that God gave to Abraham of circumcision. He forbade the Jewish men to be circumcised, and that became a, a difficult thing. And he did other things. That, that He brought things into the city of Jerusalem to further exasperate that situation. Let me read you some things this man did that just helps us to understand. And what I'm going to read to you, some, a lot of these things are backed up by the book of 1 Maccabees. Now, let me just help you with something there, because you, some of you who are historians, the book of 1 Maccabees is not part of the Bible. It's not holy canon. The book of 1 Maccabees, if anything, gives us really an account, a historical setting to understand what went down during that time when Antiochus Epiphanes was, was in rulership and how God raised up a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus to take a stand against him. The word Maccabees, you might want to write this down in your, in your notes, the word Maccabees is taken from Exodus 15.11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord God? And what they did was they took that sent that question there. They took the Hebrew letter of the alphabet that preceded each word. And that's if you look at each of those those Hebrew alphabets, that's where we get our word Maccabees from. Maccabees means a hammer. It has the idea that as Judas Maccabeus stood up against against the 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 uh, this this terrible person, Titus Epiphany, literally he stood as a hammer against all the atrocities he did there. This man brought desecration, abominable things, blasphemy against God Himself. There, one historian said this that Antiochus will go down in history as the first man to persecute a people exclusively for their religious faith. Listen what the Greek historian Plutarch wrote about Antiochus. <coughs> the king also sent messengers with a decree to Jerusalem and all the towns of Judea, ordering the people to follow customs that were foreign to the country. We just read about that. He cast down the Holy Covenant. He cast down truth. He ordered them not to offer burnt offerings, grain offerings, or wine offerings in the temple and commanded them to treat the Sabbath and festivals as work days. That's casting down the truth to the ground. They were even ordered to defile the temple and the holy things in it. They were commanded to build pagan altars, temples and shrines, and to sacrifice pigs and other unclean animals. They were forbidden to circumcise their sons and required to make them themselves ritually unclean in every way they could so that they would forget the law which the Lord had given through Moses and would disobey all his commands. The penalty for disobeying disobeying the king was the, the king's decree was death. Now here's an example. Two mothers, two Jewish mothers stood up against this decree. And I'm not trying to gross anybody else, so please understand. I'm not trying to, I'm just telling you what is historical fact, okay? But they stood up against this man and they, and they, they, they wanted to practice on the eighth day to circumcise their sons. And Judas Maccabeus law said, no, we're not going to do that. And the way they exposed a lot of the men who, who, who went ahead and did that, they, they put in Gentile gymnasiums in Jerusalem, which was, which was, which was wicked. Back in those days, gymnasiums, Christians didn't participate in gyms. Because people stripped down naked. Men stripped down naked when they did that. And Christians didn't do that. By the way, we still believe in old-fashioned morality. Amen? We still believe in modesty. Amen? I didn't hear how strong men. Maybe you don't believe that anymore. Amen? Let me say it's not even old-fashioned. It's just biblical morality. Amen? And so they, these two mothers took a stand. And Judas, this got kicked up to Judas Maccabeus. Judas Maccabeus was a man. He was a madman. He was a maniac. He was so angry, he took, he took those two babies and he killed those baby boys. Not only did he kill those baby boys, he put a chain around their neck and he hung, he, he forced those mothers to walk around public with those dead baby boys hanging around their neck. Awful. Another situation, he, he forced and beat up this family. He forced them to eat pork. 
One of the sons, out of exasperation, turned to the soldier and said, What do you hope to gain by doing this? We would rather die than abandon the tradition of our ancestors. Now, there were some Jews who were taking a stand for God. Remind you, we still live in a pagan world in a hostile environment. God needs some people to take a stand for him. Amen. Judas Maccabeus got this word. He came down himself to visit this family. He said, which one of the sons said that? The son volunteered. He didn't anybody point him out. He stood up and said, well, I'm the one that said it. Immediately commanded soldiers, cut his tongue out. They cut his tongue out. He's bleeding from the mouth. He's, he can't talk anymore. And he says, he tells his soldier, I want you to set a fire there. And I want you to set some pans and some pots and things that fill with boiling water and huge pans and pots there. And uh, they, they started to take this boy. They took him. Not only did they cut his tongue out, they scalped him. They cut off his hands. They cut off his feet. And then they proceeded to take him and threw him into boiling water. While that's all going on, they forced his family to watch all these things, these atrocities are going on. And the family said this. They said, the Lord God is looking on and he understands our suffering. Hey, historians tell us that Antiochus Epiphanes killed over 80,000 Jews and he's put another 40,000 into slavery. We get that term, the abomination of desolation that Matthew speaks about there in, in Matthew 24. It could very well be, we can't prove this, but very well we, may be that what Antiochus Epiphanes did there in, the, in that temple time during then, it could very well be that the Antichrist or beast will do something very similar to the Jews. Because remember, in the tribulation time, he will establish an alliance with the Jews. He'll make a peace pact with them. And during the outset of that, of that time, within a, in a very quick time, the temple will be rebuilt up right now. So it's a mosque, it's not a temple. And the temple will be built up there and the Jews will be coming back by droves from all over the world back into Jerusalem then. And then midway through that, he's going to break the pact with the Jews at the three and a half year mark. You read your Bible, it makes the Bible prophecy very exciting when you read that. And they, about halfway through, he breaks the pact with them. He turns his back against the Jews. And we read about in Matthew about these, these, this abomination desolation. It could very well be just to prove to the Jews how much his hatred was towards them and against them. He might be doing, he might wind up doing the same things as Antiochus Epiphanes. I'm just saying today, as we read this man, this sacrifice, what this guy did, what he did here, this referred to in, in, in Daniel 11:31. This man committed great atrocities. We see this man's arrival, we see his atrocity, but notice his abolishment. Notice, notice if you were Daniel 8.13. The believers were speaking to one another. They were referred to as saints in the Old Testament, just as, I, just as, just as much as you and I refer to as saints. Then he says, then I heard in, in Daniel 8.13, I heard one saint speaking to another saint saying, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression and desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trying to foot? Now remember, all of this is being prophesied through Daniel 350 years before this happens. Daniel will not live to see this occur. And the saints are asking, the believers are asking, How long shall this this, the, these atrocities are trotting down and the, the desolation of abomination. How long will this last? And notice in this prophecy, they said, they said in verse 14, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. What they're saying there is that, that these atrocities that Antiochus Epiphanes would be doing would last for 2,300 mornings and evenings. Wow. That's a long time. Divided by 365 days. That's a, or 360 days for a Jewish calendar. That's a long time. But I remind you tonight, God never sleeps and God never slumbers. God has this timeline. It's at that time, at the end of this, that God had raised up this man, Judas Maccabeus, and his three brothers. 
And Diodus Maccabeus led a revolt against him. And by the power of God, you have to read this for yourself. But by the power of God, he overcame. We have a little glimpse of that here in the scriptures here. You know, this Jewish feast, Hanukkah. Hanukkah was instituted because of Judas Maccabeus. It was a celebration to commemorate the rededication of the temple, the lighting again of the menorah candlestick, and God's hand in that matter. In fact, God's hand was so much in this matter. As we read through Daniel 8, Daniel chapter 11, listen to this. God's hand was so much in the matter. They say that Judas Maccabeus was making his way to Jerusalem to confront the Jews, and as he did so, as he was on horse, God afflicted him with a terrible disease of his bowels. It was so painful, he felt like his whole innards were coming out. He was just coming apart there. He felt that he was being eaten alive by worms and ulcers. He had to stop. And he realized that God was intervening on behalf of the Jews against him. We read about something similar to that over there in Acts chapter 12 about a king by the name of Herod who wanted to exalt himself. And the Bible says God smote him and he was eaten up of worms. As we read this, look at Daniel 27. Daniel gets this amazing prophecy. Pardon the term, but it was a mind-blowing prophecy. I mean, I, you, you know, I'm giving you a summation. You have to understand, God gave me special revelation in this open vision to Daniel. Can you imagine what's going on in Daniel's heart and mind? That, like, what in the world? This is incredible. And this is how Daniel's, this is how Daniel felt after God gave him this revelation. And I, Daniel, fainted. And was sick certain days. Afterwards, I rose up and did the king's business. And I was astonished at the vision, but, but uh, none understood it. You know what he's saying there? If this is coming about, man, we're, we're headed for some terrible days. We're headed for some difficult times. And so Daniel gets this vision of the maniac of the past. But notice number two. Daniel gets a vision about a monster in prophecy. This man is called the beast. And in Revelation 13, a beast is a monster. It's something out of your imagination. It's beyond what your imagination can describe. And the, and the, you'll notice here, Antiochus is described as in Daniel 11, verses 21 to 35. And then starting in verse 36 to 45, this monster and prophecy, the Antichrist, is being referred to here. Now, in Daniel 8, verses 24 to 26, he's also mentioned there. But very quickly, let me talk to you about this man that he's given a prophecy of that has not occurred yet. But he's going to happen. He's going to come. Hey, beloved brother and sister in Christ, the beast and the Antichrist is not a comic book fairy tale. It's a real beast that's going to happen in prophecy. The rapture will occur. Those who of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, the dead in Christ shall be raised up. And we which are alive remain shall be caught up together in the clouds and meet him forever there. Had a discipleship class two weeks ago. We went for two hours talking about this. And the questions didn't stop flowing. They kept asking questions. And listen, the greatest concern that I wanted to happen, one of our members of the discipleship class got up. They said, Pastor, I'm concerned for my husband. I need to get my husband saved. He needs to get saved. I don't want him to go through that. By the way, tonight, you don't want want your family to go through the tribulation either. Antiochus Epiphanes is coming gone. The beast is coming. He's called the Antichrist. Paul refers to him as the son of perdition. He goes public as soon as we're out of this world. Aren't you glad for the rapture? Amen. The Bible describes him here as the king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences. 
His power shall be mighty. If you read Revelation 13, 4, his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. This man is a satanically energized man. And let me put a plug here tonight. Look up here, church. Please understand this. There are things happening invisible right now that affect our church that we don't even comprehend. We're in a spiritual battle. You say, by the way, you can't see it because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness, the world, against spiritual wickedness and high play. It's happening right now. Beloved, while we're getting caught up with little pet peeves and off on this angle, that we got to remember there's a foe outside. There's a foe right now that doesn't want to see this church succeed. They don't want to see Christian lives in this room succeed. He doesn't want to see souls saved this week. He doesn't want to see us have a great Easter musical. He doesn't want to see people saved. He doesn't want those. And as far as I'm concerned, we need to pray the prayer that's found in Romans chapter 16. Now the God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. He's satanically controlled. He will wreak havoc against the Jewish people during the seven-year tribulation time. He will be the successful one-world dictator. Our world is such a mess. Talk about a power struggle. He's going to surpass all the power struggles. He's going to pull it all together. And the base of where he's going to pull it all together will be right there centered in the Middle East of all places. He'll establish a number that every person must have if they want to buy or sell. You read Revelation chapter 6 and we read the prophecy of the seals and the first four or five seals revealed to us different calamities and catastrophes that will happen. There'll be, he'll, this, this rider on the white horse is a picture of this man, the Antichrist, who is a, who's trying to fool people that he's Jesus and, and he will fool people during that time because the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. The the rider on the red horse represents war. And the rider on the black horse represents, if you would, represents uh, 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 death. And the rider on the gray horse, if my memory serves right, the rider on the gray horse that's grizzled and so forth, is bay colored. He represents economic failure. Hey, listen, money will fail. Gold will fail. And silver will fail. And everything they're trying to do beyond just identity protection, all that's going to fail. They're basically going to come down, as Revelation 13 already tells us, they're going to come down with with a mechanism whereby if you don't have the number 666 on your hand, it's 666 on your forehead. Basically, you can't buy so You cannot exist because you're under the control of the number. And by the way, those people get that number, they will be slain during that time. God will judge them. This man is against God and he speaks blasphemies against God. He will have a sidekick called the false prophet. He will enslave and ensnare all of his listeners with suave words. This has got to be the master politician. He'll be the master speech maker. He'll be the master motivator of all things. There'll be no preacher that has a silver tongue like him. There'll be no politician that has a silver tongue like him. He'll be able to persuade and everyone to go alongside what he's doing there. He's deceitful and destructive. And as bad as Antiochus Epiphany was, who is a kind of a foreshadowing of him. This man, the Antichrist, this monster prophecy, this son of perdition would be many times worse. He's a monster man. A man with no conscience. A man satanically controlled. A man filled with intense hatred. He will persuade and lead the nations into an alliance. And he'll lead them to the valley of Megiddo. He will give them a mind job thinking, we're going to fight Jesus. And in the valley of Megiddo, we're going to defeat Jesus. Can you imagine anyone being foolish enough to think they can defeat Jesus? It ain't going to happen, amen? Not going to happen. You want a vivid detail of what Jesus is going to do when he speaks his word? Just read Zechariah chapter 14, amen? 
Their eyes will be burned out of their sockets there. They will melt to the ground. Listen, Jesus doesn't have to lift a finger there. He's going to come down to that white horse where his name is faithful and true. They'll meet there at the Valley of Megiddo. He's so mad. He's so crazy. He's going to lead millions upon millions to meet him there in the Valley of Megiddo. And they'll be slain by the word of his mouth. But listen to this. In Revelation 19, verses 20, 21, it describes what God's going to do with this man, the Antichrist. The Bible says, and the beast was taken and with him the false prophet and, uh, and, and that was that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and then that worshipped his image these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which short proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh here's how Daniel 8.25 you'd look at that Daniel 8.25 des- de- describes the demise of the beast as follows he shall be broken without hand isn't that a great thought amen Jesus doesn't have to lift a finger on that stuff. That's how powerful he is. Hey, let's stop thinking Jesus is weak and anemic. Listen, he will break him without hand. What great power will be demonstrated there. And you notice as you read on in this, he says this man will be noted by his dictatorial rule and the millions he'll kill and billions that will die and and, uh, blasphemies against God. When you read Revelation 6 to 18, the worst time period of human history. And if you're saved, you need to thank God tonight. As Brother Danny said, we need to count our blessing. Thank God you're not going to be there when that happens. Amen. Because God is not appointed us to wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. You read the context of 1 Thessalonians 4, continuing to 1 Thessalonians 5. God has not appointed us to wrath. The Bible describes the great tribulation period at the last verse of Revelation 16. The great day of God's wrath is judgment against this sin-wicked world. So notice, if you would, number one, we see the maniac of the past. Number two, we see the monster in prophecy. So what's that got to do with Daniel 11, verse 32, 33? I want you to understand what's going on here. We are in the 69th week of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. There's a timeline between the 69th and 79th week. We're in the gap between the 69th and 70th week there. And you've got to understand, Antiochus Epiphanes has done his atrocities, he's passed. And we have that kind of as a reminder historically of evil things that have happened. But we look forward into the future, realize that coming for those who do not know Jesus Christ, their Savior, if they reject him, as we understand the, the flow of the context in Second Thessalonians 2, we understand the people that are left behind are going to go through terrible, terrible times. The Holy Spirit of God will be removed out of this world, the restraining force of God will be gone and, they, and God will send a, a spirit of strong delusion and they will believe a lie and many of them who had opportunity to be saved at an Easter musical like the one coming up this weekend they will believe that lie and will not get saved during the tribulation period now about you that's pretty scary to me that, that burdens my heart for our community. That burdens my heart for something that God gave me in my devotion has been burning my heart every single morning every single day for the last several weeks or from Jeremiah chapter 1 Reminds me today that what we do is important and what we do is life-giving and what we do is biblical. What we do is important and what we do is the life priority. Listen, whatever the priority is in life that we may think we have is important, the most important thing we must do is see people saved. I don't have a church church that doesn't go by. Some will be weeping on the side. They'll say, Pastor, you're going to talk to you for just a minute. Sure. Pray for my sister. She's not saved. Pray for my brother. He's not saved. Nestled in this, as you read Daniel 8 and 10 and 11, if all you do is get stuck on the atrocities and the things that will happen, it's pretty discouraging. And I'll tell you, Daniel was a greater Christian than you and me, and he got discouraged according to Daniel 27. He fainted. 
In fact, he started reading Jeremiah again. And, you know, you've got to be of a certain, certain spiritual, spiritual temperament to read, to read Jeremiah. Because you read Jeremiah, man, he's just giving depressing prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. But there's some good stuff there, by the way, man. Because that was the tail end as, uh, of, the, of, of, the, of that time in, the, in Jewish history before they went into captivity. They were way, way far from God. And God gives us all. You'll turn back to Daniel 11. We're almost there. I'm going to go a little bit over. I want you to notice tonight in verses 32-33, as we close tonight, the matchless possibilities. We have a past. We have a prophecy. In between that, we find in verses 32 to 33 the following statements. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits, and they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Now, I believe, number one, that tonight, as God used Judas Maccabeus to take back the temple and the sacrifice and reinstitute the right sacrifices and to set the Jewish people free, God gives us hope for this generation we live in to make a powerful impact before Jesus returns to. And I believe we live in a time which might be the last golden window of opportunity for winning people to Christ, advancing missions, starting churches, and getting the gospel to the utmost parts of Beloved, this is not a time for us to argue about the nitpicky thing. Stop straining the gnat. Let's get busy and win souls to Christ. We live in perhaps the last golden window of opportunity of reaching people for Christ. And here's part of the, part of the challenge we have, okay? If you, if you were the first one in your family to get saved, you understand what it's like to have unsaved parents. But if you're a second generation, third generation Christian, where it was just the faith was handed down to you and you had to come to the realization of trusting Christ, you did it without persecution. You didn't know. And a lot of you, a lot of you first generation Christians are like me. You say, man, one day God will give me a family. If I get married, I get a family. I'm going to raise my family right. I'm going to do all these things. But I'm going to tell you something tonight. As good as your intentions may be, you don't forget on the other side of it, Satan doesn't like the fact you want to build a Christian home. Satan doesn't like the fact, as Brother Denny quoted tonight from Psalms 127, verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain the build. I want to tell you, while you and I are trying to build a home, Satan's trying to dismantle that home. He wants to destroy your home because a house divided against itself shall not stand, Jesus said. Listen, brother and sister in Christ, husbands and wives and children and parents, the enemy is not the husband, the enemy is not the wife, the enemy is not the husband, the enemy is not the father, the enemy is not the wife, the enemy is not the children. The devil's the enemy right now. The enemy is not the pastor, the enemy is not the deacons, the enemy is not the staff, the enemy is not the Sunday school teacher, the enemy is not the choir, the orchestra, the ushers, and whatever else we have in church. The enemy is not the nurse. Listen, the enemy is Satan trying to work against his work. Let's wake up and realize something, that the devil is winning really well. As we spoke about in Sunday school this morning, about this area of forbearance, we don't want to touch forbearance. We don't want to touch long-suffering, because that means I show that I'm weak. Yeah, well, you're not going to be meek unless you're weak. And so notice, if you would, verse 32, and I need to move along, because I promise I try to get you done. Notice verse 32, he starts off by telling us who this promise is for. They that do know their God. I'm going to be very narrow with you tonight. I believe in narrowness. This is referring to saved, baptized members of a New Testament church. I believe this is referring to people that are living for Jesus and a, and a part of a me- member of a church that's on fire for God because even though the church was a mystery as far as the Old Testament is concerned, it doesn't dilute the fact that the church is still the body of Christ and the building of God is found in the New Testament. Amen. 
And as we look at this passage of Scripture, this promise is not for unsaved people. This promise is for people who do know their God. People who make a profession of faith in knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. And by the way, tonight, if you're saved, thank God you know God tonight. Amen? So I want you to see these promises. It's a threefold promise and we're done tonight. It's for you and for me. It's for children, for teenagers, single adults and married adults. People who, are on, who feel like they're on top of the hill and people that feel like they're struggling. People that have a positive mindset and people whose minds are bothered or racked by sin and other things. Because God loves us. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen. He loves us. He cares about us. He wants us to succeed. Hey, nobody cares more about your success and my success more than God does. And I know that. Success is not measured by dollar signs. And success is not measured by title. Success is not measured by status. Success is not measured by speaking ability. And success is not measured by intelligence. Listen, Stephen Hawking was the greatest, most intelligent man of this generation. But listen, he said God is dead. Listen, Stephen Hawking's dead. I'm not speaking disrespect with the man. But he went and spent his life trying to prove to everybody that there is no God and that there's no life hereafter. I think his mind just changed right now. You can go spend your life studying about a black hole when I can tell you there's a blessed hope in heaven. Let's get with it. Don't live in a theoretical world. The real world is the world of the Bible, the Word of God. So notice how God encourages you and me as we go into this Easter weekend, as we move on for Jesus Christ, as we advance another year and have another wedding anniversary and have another birthday this year. Would you notice God's promised possibilities for every Christian found here at Heritage Baptist Church? Number one, He promises us, He gives us a pos, He promises the possibility for your enablement. Notice in verse 32, very, very, very carefully, scroll down with me into that. The people that do know their God shall be strong. Daniel's morale was low. The Jews' morale was low. Their knees were shaking. They were filled with fear and consternation. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was one of those prophets that day, and I got a prophecy of all those terrible things happened to my people, I think I'd feel the same, if not worse. But God promises to you and me, He promises you and me the possibility for our enablement. The people that do know their God shall be strong. Listen, our enablement is not human. Our enablement is holy. By yourself and by myself, there's only so much we can do. We have a limited capacity on, in and of ourselves. Our enablement is not might or our power. It's by God's Holy Spirit. Our, whole, our strength is Holy Spirit wrought. It is the filling of the Holy Spirit that Paul speaks about in Ephesians 5.18. It is the Spirit of the Lord God that is upon me that Isaiah spoke about in Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3. It is the rivers of living water that Jesus speaks of in John 7 verses 38 and 39. It is the treasure in earthen vessels that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 4.6. It is the fresh anointing that David speaks of in Psalms 92.10. In Joshua 1 verses 6, 7 and 9, God told Joshua to be strong and of a good courage. In 2 Chronicles 32 7, God told King Hezekiah, be strong and courageous against Sennacherib. And Daniel 10 9, after Daniel felt so down and discouraged about not knowing what all this meant, the Bible says God loved on Daniel. And he says, Oh, Daniel, oh man, greatly beloved, be strong, be strong. And Haggai 2 4, years before Daniel brought, came on the scene, he told Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, to strengthen their hands. He said, Be strong. God tells you and I to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. If you study very carefully, 
carefully the book of Ephesians from chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Great emphasis is made on God's grace progressively working in our lives. And great emphasis is, is, is specified there of the mighty working of God. In fact, the very first thing Paul says about the mighty working of God in Ephesians 1, he was praying for those believers at Ephesus who were living in a pagan society who understood being under the power of alcohol and under the power of drugs and under the power of a substance addiction and being under the power of having their, their desires inflamed by dancing around Aphrodite, their worship. They understood being under that power. And Paul was saying, I want to tell you, there is a greater power, a holier power, a superior power, a never-ending power that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. And he says over in Ephesians chapter 3, there is the inner working of that power in our lives. And he says about that power, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And then he takes us to Romans, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Listen, you cannot and I cannot be strong in our own power. We're not going to make it. We must be strong in the power of Jesus Christ. He promises you and me the possibility of our enablement. Be strong. Be strong because your children need you. Be strong because your neighborhood needs you. Be strong because your church needs you. Be strong because your husband or wife needs you. Be strong because your mother and father needs you. You say, well, I'm not needed. You're wrong. You are needed. You are needed. Because if God felt like you were needed, we're taking you home already, man. You have a place to fill and there's a hole that's missing. There's a seat that's empty. Listen, I just didn't believe I'm of the fact this morning, this evening, that God's will is that this church be filled up and overflowing with people. Amen. Don't faint now. Have received this ministry. Let us faint not. Be strong the next seven days for this Easter musical outreach. Be strong as the days count down. We enter to the education building. Listen, after we get past Easter and we get past the revival meetings, I've got a series of things over the next several weeks I've got to talk to you about as a church. We need to rally together as a church. And we've got to get people back into the house of God. And we've got to get to people in all the different languages and help them understand the countdown, what's going on. There are great things God wants to do, but it's not going to happen if we don't, if we don't decide to rise up as a great people to get on board with what God's plan is tonight. Be strong, let's fill the building and go to two morning services. Be strong, let's pay off the debt that we owe. Be strong, let's have a strong mission. The church planning everything. Hey, listen, tonight, I understand we're tired. I understand for those of you who've been here since the beginning, you're in the same emphasis, same preaching. By the way, it's Bible. And I realize there are a large number of people in here. We're talking about the committed core of the church. What you and I do when we come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then again Wednesday night, that is not normal to most people. It's not ordinary. It's not ordinary. It's extraordinary because we have an extraordinary God. It's not natural. No, it's not natural. It's supernatural because God is the one that helps us. And by the way, I'll testify to you something like this. I was in business long enough. I know this for a fact. I just made a decision when I, when I started working. I was going to put God first. And listen, there were a lot of deals I didn't get. And there were a lot of things that didn't happen. But God still took better care of me than I could have ever done for myself. You got to stop compromising and realize you can still come to church and you can still serve God and God's going to take care of you. You know why? Because that's why God gave us Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things. I mean, to God, they're just things. They shall be added unto you. God will give you the time. 
Got to give you the ability. But you know, we've got to get a place. We don't trust God. We don't trust God. We trust ourselves. We say, well, in God we trust, but I'm going to hold on my dollar. I would say, in fact, just God trusting God, let go of your dollar. Watch what God is able to do. This church should not exist here. This church is a miracle of God. The only reason why this church is here is because of God, not because of me, not because of you, not because of anything we do. We don't have a great choir. We don't have a great pastor. You don't have a great preacher. We don't have a great orchestra. We don't have, we don't have great anything, but we've got a great God. And that's what makes it count. I want you to be strong with me about our mission's emphasis. And I want you to hear something tonight. I'm going to say a couple things now. I need to cast vision for just a little bit here tonight. In three or four weeks, we have a young man that got called to preach at our first SALT training that we did, a spiritual Asian leadership training that we did several years ago. And some of the men that were with me at that conference will attest to what I'm going to say. And I don't say this in a demeaning way of any kind. But the conference was very... Uh, from a number standpoint, was successful in the large number of preachers we brought in from a restricted access country. What we didn't know, which, or was not told to me, was that a lot of those those preachers and workers came, basically came because they were looking for something free, and a lot of them had false doctrines they were contending with. Like, for instance, they when they went back to churches, they still were okay with speaking in tongues, and they were okay with Calvinistic doctrine, and they were okay with women preachers, because some of them came from churches where a woman was their pastor. This was not told to me. By the way, I'm just thankful God is above all what I need to know, Amen. And it came on, I, I opened that night, the first night in preach, and Wednesday night I told our men, I got our men together, and I said, guys, I need you to pray for me. I'm, I'm preaching a message from, from, from 1 Samuel 17, and I'm preaching about David, but my whole essence of going with that message that night is I'm asking God that we're mighty through God, and I'm just praying that God will call some men to preach. And they signed a translator to me, which honestly was, was, a, was just, it was, it was difficult. The translator had to go from English, and you guys already know, I'm already hard enough to translate in English, Amen. From English to Cantonese to Mandarin. He said, what's the big deal? It's a big deal because if you don't hear it right in your language, you're going to miss the whole meaning. And even I knew with what little words I was hearing of this guy, I, I kind of gave him the look. I said, dude, man, get with it. You're not translating with me right, amen? And I was getting frustrated with it, and I just kept preaching away, and I thought, and I got to the invitation, I'm going to be honest with you, I felt about this big, and I said, Lord, I don't even know how, how the Holy Spirit could have worked through that. We gave the invitation, and 12 men surrendered to preach that day. One of them happens to be a young man who had majored in the, in the city of Beijing. He had, minister, he had majored in physical education as a basketball player. And uh, I don't know what happened that week, but, you know, they kind of have this thing in Asia. A lot of foreign countries, they do this. A lot of foreign countries, the pastors sit on one table and the rest of the people sit with each other. And that might be custom for them, but I'll just tell you, I love people. And I just didn't feel that was right. I felt that this just, there was something not right about that picture. And I started inviting the young man. I said, I asked somebody to interpret for me. I said, hey, invite the young man. I want to sit with me. And we didn't have much of a meal, so that was fine. We didn't eat a whole lot because the meal what the food was not delicious at all amen it was awful it just gave us more time to fellowship with the man and talk to him and several of the young men they said uh pastor fong they said through translator they said pastor fong you're not supposed to speak to us i said why so well, you're supposed to be there with the pastor so i said well you tell them i'm going to talk to you and they're not going to do it there's nothing they can do about because i get to preach here at this conference amen and one of them had me a young man by the name of Ted Mung. Now, Ted, if you know Ted, Ted, Ted is an athlete. They call him a jock, amen, you know. He liked to play around. Brother Lawman, he came to Brother Lawman's church. Brother Lawman told him, hey, you go with those men, go down to that conference. It might do you some good. 
And that night, one of the first men that came forward was that man, Tim. I kind of had my eye on him because the day before, he'd sat down at lunch with me. We're talking. He was trying to work in his broken English, and I was trying to deal with, with just trying to get translated to him what I wanted to say. He went forward, and something very miraculous happened because later that year, Brother Chapel and I and some other men went over back to Asia on a three-country tour. We had a, a lot of things to do on that. Went to the Philippines, South Korea, and, and Beijing. Great, great things that God did through that. Hundreds and hundreds were saved. But along the course there, as we ended up our trip in, in, in China, and there was all these things going on there. We met there, and uh, Brother Lomi did something that was, that was very courageous. He took a, the top floor of a restaurant, and they had 300 people there that night. Now, I'm telling you, this is a communist country. He had a top floor reserved, and there were several missionaries that told me before, and they said, we're not going because we've got word that you guys are going to get busted. I'm thinking, man, here it goes again. I'm going to get busted again. I don't know what I'm going to do with this situation here, you know. And nothing happened. But in the course of that, I had a businessman friend of mine that was with me, and I said, hey, I want you to meet this young man. He, 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 he's been saved, and he surrendered to be a preacher just a couple months ago. And my businessman friend said, without me even asking, he says, Pastor Fong, he said, if, if he's serious about it, he says, if Pastor Chapel let him to West Coast Baptist College, I will pay his tuition. So what kind of program are you going to create? And now we're in the process. I'm sitting down with Brother Chapel past midnight that night. We're working out a program that now they've developed for, for all foreign students. And I told him, I said, you can't have him here for four years. If he stays more than two years, the materialism of this, of this country will corrupt him. He will not want to go back to his country and win his people to Christ. I said, if anything, I'd rather just go in. We developed a program. My businessman friend came alongside. And he spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I'll just tell you this, he almost got to six figures to help pay for that. I was there when he wrote the checks. And I was just thankful for a man that had a sensitive heart and got the proof of his pastor to say, hey, I want to have some part in worldwide missions. Okay, well, let me fast forward. We brought him over here. He stayed a summer there. And during the summer he was here, he worked on his English. Ted worked on his English. I took him soul winning every week. I taught him discipleship. He learned it. He grasped hold of it really quickly. He goes back to Charity Baptist Church after he graduated from Bible college, not sure what to do. And long story short, now we're at the situation because Brother Lawman's no longer there. He calls me up and he says, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And he says, I want to ask you first before I talk to Brother Lawman. And which I said, well, I think you need to talk to Brother Lawman first. He's your pastor. And long and short of it, he says, well, Pastor, Fong, I, you know, he's just said, I'm just thinking about my future, where I'm going to go. And he just feels like he says, I know you. You've taught me a lot of different things. And he says, I feel like there's a lot more I need to learn. He says, would you be open to Heritage Baptist Church being my sending church? And Ted comes from a city, a city near the coastline called Hangzhou. Five million, six million people there. As far as we know, there is no independent Baptist work anywhere in that city. And Ted and I have been talking, praying for the last, the last several weeks here. And finally, as Chinese New Year's was approaching, I said, Ted, are you going to go back to your family during Chinese New Year's? Because most people do that. And he says, Pastor, I am. And I said, I want you to do three things when you're there. He said, I said, number one, I want you to make a goal. You're going to witness to every one of your family members that are there. And by the way, he's got a brother that's already saved. And he went through the intention to witness to every one of his family members. And listen, while he was there, as Chinese New Year's was starting, he led his father to Jesus Christ. Send me a picture right as his dad got saved, and I just can imagine what's going on. His dad's all excited, and his, he's, and his mother's saved, and he's working through all these dynamics there. And I said, I want you to scope out some locations for you to live and get some things together. And in the midst of all that was a spiritual, we were at a spiritual leadership conference. I engaged several pastor friends. I said, listen, guys, we're going to support this man. We're going to send him out of our church. We're going to support him heavily here. I'd like to ask if you'd come on board and be, just come on with us and help support this man uh, for the work ministry. Brother Ted is going to be here in three weeks, and in three, in three weeks, 
going to be there for two weeks. I'm going to spend time just kind of getting him acclimated, getting him trained, prepared, mentally and spiritually for what he's going to be doing there. And then we're going to send him back out of this church. We're not going to ordain him yet. We're going to send him out of this church to go back to China, to Hangzhou, to start an independent Baptist church set by Heritage Baptist Church over to Hangzhou, China. Are you excited? Are you excited? Are you, are you excited? Are you concerned about China? Are you concerned about impacting 1.4 billion people? Huh? You say, well, are you putting a lot of hope in him? No, I'm not putting a lot of hope. I'm putting a lot of hope in Jesus. Because I know Ted better than you guys, and I'm worried. I'm really worried. I told him, I said, you mess up, I will personally beat you up over there. You can put me on record there. I said, if you mess up, I said, I personally will beat you up. I prayed on the phone with him. He's weeping for Hong Joe. He's only 33 years old. But I don't know about you. We need to be strong. Our area has about seven, eight, nine million people. I'm going to show you a map. I'm going to just pass through real quickly because I need to get through this. But we're praying in all of our major cities or clustering some of our cities together. And what I'm telling you, even the staff hasn't heard or the deacons haven't heard yet. You're getting first preview. I have a special time I'm going to have with staff and deacons that's going to be very extended on this. But, beloved, God put Heritage Baptist Church here for such a time as this. We need extension ministries that are flourishing. We need churches that need to get started. And we need to ordain men in every city, as Paul told Titus. To send order the things that are wanting and ordain men, elders, in every city. Men who meet the First Timothy 3 and Titus 1 requirement. And ladies that will desire, you know what, I can't think of anything better to do with my life than be married to a pastor and a church planter to see the work of God being done and reaching people for Christ. I don't know about you, but we live in a very, very messed up world right now. A very messed up world. A very messed up world. And the average parent sends their kid to high school and middle school wondering, if my, is, is there something bad happen on that campus there? I mean, you get on, you get on public transportation and people wonder, is something bad going to happen there? I mean, I just, I just looked at the news, the patch, patch and the, the blot there about, about folks getting mugged here at the San Leandro Costco in daytime at 12 noon, right in the middle of the parking lot. I'm not talking about purse snatching. I'm talking about getting mugged pretty bad. I'm talking about our targets and Walmarts and Walgreens and all the other places being havens for criminals. And, man, we live in a very messed up world there. I'm talking about kids being pressured and being, being bullied and all kinds of things like that. You know, and as a pastor, you want to solve everybody's problems, but you can't solve everybody's problems. This only Jesus Christ can do it. We need churches and we need to get, we need to get churches and we need to get extension ministries started. And, and I need you to roll up your sleeves with me and just say, you know what? I know it's going to take a little more time and I know it's going to take a little more effort, but you tell me how it's going to be done and we'll get it done there. Listen, we've got growth. We've got Sunday school growth with our goal for this building. Our, our goal is not to spend God's money and your money to put this building up for just because we had the empty space. The goal for that building is to have more facilities to get more people saved and into the church and teach the way of God and God to produce some preachers and some workers of God and that Church planners be sent out of this church here. Yeah, so number one is our enabled. Very quickly, number two. Notice he talked about a second thing. 
Number one, he says, our, he talks about, he gives us the promise possibly of our enabling to be strong. Notice number two, he talks about our endeavors. Not our livers, our endeavors. Amen. They shall do exploits. It's exactly what the word means. They shall do exploits. What's an exploit? I'm going to read you some things I want you to catch. An exploit is following and executing the biblical vision for the church. An exploit is something great. An exploit is something that is faith and a faith undertaking. An exploit is impossible with man, but possible with God. An exploit is, is doing something that impacts this generation. An exploit is seeing the invisible and doing the impossible. An exploit is taking our Sunday school growth groups to a new level. An exploit is giving, uh, giving our all in winning souls. An exploit is seeing the best attended uh, Easter musical and Easter tennis weekend we've ever had. An exploit is starting churches. The exploit is advancing missions to the uttermost parts of the earth. An exploit is doing something that after it's said and done, you have no regrets that it was done. Listen, an exploit is someone like Dr. Larry Clayton. Who was a, who's a great preacher of our generation, 83, 85 years of age. And Dr. Clayton has been evangelist all the years he's been called to minister. And somewhere along the way, God has led him around the country. Listen, Dr. Clayton, when most men are playing golf or playing something else there, Dr. Clayton is out in the Philippines. He's hanging out there in the bushes and places like that. He's helping church planters get out and starting churches there. Dr. Clayton is in places you and I would not go to. He's in places the world. He's getting Bibles out. He's doing things. He's spending all the resources he has, which isn't a lot, to getting, getting Bibles out to places like Papua New Guinea and places like that and trying to get the gospel. Dr. Clayton at 85 years of age when most men are sleeping a little bit more during the daytime. He's awake at night worrying about our world and praying for souls to be saved. Listen, exploit is someone like that. Listen, I can't wait to be, I can't wait to get to heaven and see all the rewards Larry Clayton's going to get one day. An exploit is advancing missions in the uttermost part of the earth. Hey, why don't you do something exciting? Be a missionary and go to some part of the world nobody's gone to. An exploit is starting and staffing ministries that win souls, make the sun. Hey, I've heard more. I've heard more over the years. We can't do it for this. We can't do it for that. Why don't we just say we can't do it, but he can? Yeah. Let's just get to saying, okay, that if that's what we're supposed to do, how many people do we need to staff in? Let's get it staffed and let's get them trained. Let's empower them. Let's get them going. Let's pray down the power of God. Let's get out and get it done. Let's do some exploits for God. Amen. I mean, I don't know about you, San Leandro needs some exploits. They don't need some nude woman statue out there in the middle of San Leandro out there drawing attention on public media. They need to hear there's a gospel preaching church, preaching the word of God, getting people saved, making a difference in people's lives, and people crying out, holding microphones, says, thank God for this church because someone knocked on my door and I got Jesus in my heart. You say, well, that doesn't happen in our other language. Yes, it does. Exploit seeing your unsaved family get saved. Exploit is doing something nobody else has ever done. Exploit is a dream with a plan of action. Listen, he says, they that be strong, they shall do exploit. Hey, would you come with me and do some exploits? So he talks to us about our enablement. He gives us a promise for our enablement. He gives us a promise for our endeavors. But notice as we close tonight, notice one last thing. He says, he gives us a promise for evangelism. They, they do know their God. Hey, aren't you glad you're saved tonight? Amen. Amen. They should be strong. They should do exploits. In verse 33, they that understand among the people shall instruct me. That's so winning. But you notice how he characterizes evangelism as so winning? They that understand among the people. Hey, you know what? Wisdom, when you get God's wisdom, you understand 
God's mind. Amen? That's what basic wisdom is. You understand the mind of God. You understand more about Jesus because Jesus' summation of all wisdom and understanding and so forth there. But let me give you some things to put in my notes and we're done. They understand the unsaved who die in their sins will go to hell. They understand the gospel is the power of God into salvation. They understand that Jesus is coming soon. They can understand we're commanded to win souls. We're commanded to make disciples. They understand that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. They understand if we do not warn the unsaved and the wicked, their blood is on our hands. They understand that we might be in the eleventh hour and souls still need to be saved. Someone needs to go out into the marketplace and say, hey, will you come? And I think we are in the eleventh hour. They that understand shall instruct many. I think some of the greatest soul winners I know anywhere in this church, I'm thankful for those. And by the way, I'm thankful for a lot of the ladies soul winners in our church. Paul talked about that in Philippians 4. He says, he says, help those women who labor with me in the gospel. I'm thankful for those sisters in Christ and many of them here tonight who labor with me in the gospel. Have a passion for souls wherever they go. So God gives you and me tonight as we close very simply, just a very teaching idea tonight. He's promised possibilities. He promises possibilities for your enablement and mine. He promises possibilities for our endeavors. They shall do exploits. By the way, you know what that's saying there? God is not interested in status quo Christianity. And he gives us promised possibilities for our evangelism. We've got maybe 3,000 flyers, 4,000 flyers left. Don't take them, put them in your car. Helps get them out. I've got meetings lined up all day tomorrow. Six or seven men. It's going to be like that all week. I worked all this past week while I was away trying to get ahead on sermons this week, this next week. So I could have this week free. I'm going after people. And I want to urge you tonight. You don't have a name that's on that cross. Get the name on the cross because the Jesus who died on the cross died for their sins. And let's decide tonight. God, you know what? You have promised possibilities. I'm going to claim them for my life, for my enablement for my endeavors and for the evangelism you called me to do. Our Father, tonight we just thank you this evening as we looked at prophecy of the past and prophecy of the future. In between all that, we see a very, what could be perceived as a very discouraging moment. <clears throat> and yet you told Daniel in the midst of all that, they that do know their God, they shall be strong. They shall do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. And tonight we need a moving of the Holy Spirit. We need the wind, that, that mighty rushing wind that came into that upper room where 120 disciples were assembled. And the Bible says clothes of fire were on top of their head. And we're thankful tonight that we know the, we know the indwelling of the Holy Spirit according to Ephesians 1.13. But Lord, we need more than the indwelling tonight. We need the infire of the Holy Spirit. We need a fire from on high. We need to be like David said, that while I was musing, the fire burned. Grip us tonight with such a holy concern and such a holy passion and such a holy desire. And Lord, help us remind us tonight in the first thing tonight. It's not in our power. It's of God's power. It's not of might nor power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Tonight, we need something fresh from heaven. I claim Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3. The spirit of the Lord God's upon me because he's anointed me. Tonight, we ask the spirit of the living God fall fresh in us tonight. 
Move us tonight once and again. Move us this next six days to just give our all for this coming Easter musical and this weekend. And then, Lord, to get our hearts ready in holiness. Because the Bible says, follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see God. Then the week to come, as we get into our spring revival, our lives can be energized and changed. God, thank you for loving us. You said to Daniel, oh man, greatly beloved, thank you for loving us tonight from the passage of Scripture. Tonight, we need a great holy moving tonight. Would you help us this evening to follow through? There are a lot of things that were said tonight that you put in my heart and some I didn't have time to say. May tonight you have your way this evening. Holy Spirit, you've spoken. Now we pray for action. We pray to do an exploit now. We pray for this now, Lord, of you. And asking tonight, if anyone here tonight is not saved, that before they leave tonight, they trust Christ their Savior. So you open the invitation, Lord, help us to obey you. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Let's stand, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you need to come forward this evening, you come and do as the Holy Spirit instructs you tonight. Let's pray for souls this week. Let's pray for God to do a holy working. Let's take one more effort and say, God, there are people that, need to, that I've got on that cross that need to be saved. Let's ask God to work holy in our lives. A holy working God. Would you do that tonight? Let's ask God to do the impossible. To open doors. Continue in prayer. For mighty door of utterance. Let's do that tonight. You say, well, I've asked these people to come, but they haven't come. Well, ask again. Ask and shall receive. Amen. Ask again. Now, Father, tonight we thank you this evening for Daniel 11. What an exciting passage of Scripture when we think about all that's there. And we ask, Lord, tonight that uh, you stir our hearts. And though you give your beloved sleep, I pray we'd have a little bit of sleeplessness this week. For reaching souls and touching lives. Father, tonight have your way. Be glorified. Bless this week. We pray for souls to be saved. We pray for the devil's power to be bound. We pray we not give place to the devil in any capacity or way. Thank you for loving us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.